Hello, friends, and welcome to Beauty the Interviews, a podcast production of The Beautiful Project, a grassroots storytelling initiative that invites women to belong in the world with substance and with strength. I'm Sarah Stevens, the founder of The Beautiful Project, and your host for this podcast. So welcome to a little surprise episode, uh, a bit of a continuation of season one. I had the opportunity to sit down with Miss Iowa today, Michaela. Um, Somebody had connected us a couple of months ago and uh, thinking that maybe she had a story to share for our Survivor series, which I'm right in the middle of recording. And as she and I communicated, I realized that she probably didn't necessarily have a Survivor story, but she certainly had a thing or two to say about bodies, about beauty, and about belonging. You know, I think it's pretty easy for us to assume certain things about people who exist in the pageant world. Um, I know for sure it is easy for me to carry my own bias about those things. But sitting down with Michaela was extraordinary. She is a grounded, intelligent, um, kind, compassionate, committed human being uh, who saw pageantry as a way to amplify her voice. And if there's uh, something I stand for, it is definitely finding a way for women to use their voice. So without further ado, I'm excited to introduce to you Miss Iowa Michaela. Michaela's here with us today. Um, Thank you for saying yes. Michaela is also Miss Iowa. That's right, guys. I said Miss Iowa is talking to us today about body, about beauty, and about belonging. So thank you for saying yes. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is awesome. Cool. Super excited to spend my Friday morning this way. Awesome. It's a good end to the week. Good. That's great. So um, we always start with the same question. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we'll start with the same question with you. Tell me about the first time that you remember realizing that your body was different from other bodies. I feel like there's been there have been a couple times where I've realized that mm-hmm. but the very first distinct memory that I have is when I was in third grade and I was the only girl that had to wear a bra mm. I went through puberty very early and it was embarrassing mm-hmm. um, <laughs> because all of the boys were like oh my goodness Michaela's wearing a bra and I remember little boys like snapping the back yeah. of my bra and was ridiculous but you know on top of that too just uh I want to say when I got to like junior high and high school people would make comments about um you know my shape and different things like that my mom would tell me I had to cover up my Beyonce Uh that was always her joke but um people would definitely point different things out about my body and it made me really uncomfortable Mm-hmm. Because the message was that based on those differences, you didn't belong. Mm-hmm. 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 Or I was a distraction. Oh. You, yeah. You were a distraction. Mm-hmm. Wow. What do you do with that when you're 13, 14, 15? What do you do? Well, it just makes you feel so different. And it makes... I used to wear baggy clothes. I mm-hmm. never wanted to show anything off. Um just because I didn't want to be sexualized, you know? Yeah. I was only 15, but I knew that I was way more than just the shape of my body and the way that I looked. But it definitely wears on you. Yeah. Because you're just there. Right. Yeah. Like a constant source of commentary. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So you said you were 15 and you knew that you were more than just the shape of your body. Tell me how, I mean, a lot of 15-year-olds don't know that. Mm -hmm. So tell me how that came about for you, that you had started to sense that you were more than just this shape that was a distraction, quote unquote, for people. When I was 15, I found this really cool program called Love Girls Magazine. Mm. And the love stands for lead, overcome, value, and empower. And it was a magazine made for girls by girls and a really good friend of my start of mine started it mm-hmm. um, out of Rock Island High School actually and the main reason that she started it was to combat bullying for her friend mm-hmm. uh, she had seen very negative things happening and she just wanted to create a space where girls could tell their stories and feel okay about who they are and what it is that they're going through and so I found that and through that I found a lot of self-worth and self-love so that was that you, was a really good yeah. thing to have. Were you there for the inception of the of Love Girls magazine or was it already going? And were you like were you part of what started it or what I came in probably between six months to a year right after it had started. Okay. And I just gravitated towards it and I gravitated towards her mm-hmm. and that really helped me, you know, start to love myself and be like, uh, you know, I'm way more than this. Mm-hmm. You know, my life has purpose and I don't care if you're staring at me as I'm walking down the hallway mm-hmm. and making all of these comments. No. Yeah. Hmm. So you, it did, helped you develop some resilience? It did. Yeah. Definitely did. That's really beautiful because one of the things I say often is that our collective stories heal us collectively. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like from this, um, it sounds like what your friend was able to start was this collective storytelling space. Mm-hmm. where you started to recognize your truth in each other mm-hmm. and understand that there was more to this story, you know, that there was more here. Um, that I think that when we're isolated, we're trying to figure that out on our own, we're doing that in um, up against this tidal wave of messaging that tells us something different, mm-hmm. that what we do have to offer this world is the way that we look. Yes. Right? Absolutely. And how we look should be, you know, generally pleasing and thin, um, at the very least, pleasing thin. Mm-hmm. You know, there are lots of other rules, I think, too. Mm-hmm. And one thing that's really cool about the magazine is that we choose cover girls who are normal women with amazing stories. Mm. Uh, there was maybe one time that we used Madison Keys. It yeah. was, like, in her very beginning stages of, you know, taking off and being amazing. But besides that, you know, it was, like... You've made it through this obstacle. Let's highlight you. And you're, you know, a 15-year-old going to college. Let's highlight you. Mm-hmm. Just different things in different avenues of being just positive and overcoming different things. That's awesome. Yeah. So you got involved from the, on the ground floor with that and mm-hmm. helped to curate the content and all of you helped mm-hmm. to, to make it what it is. Yeah. Tell me about what it is now. Like, tell, talk about the magazine a little bit. So it's definitely grown with us. Uh, we started out with, you know, mainly junior high to high school aged girls, but now we're all college aged women, mm-hmm. and so now we cater it to all of all of those ages. But instead of being just a print magazine, we've actually turned into more of like a um, just an organization in general. Mm-hmm. So we host this thing called the Girls on Fire Writing Conference, mm-hmm. and it's a way for girls to 
get involved with like poetry writing, um, magazine writing, different Mm -hmm. things like that. And there's also like self-confidence workshops. We're bringing a ton of different professionals from all around the Quad Cities. Mm. And then they get to do various workshops with them too, which is really awesome. That's really cool. And then our other huge event is the Love Awards. And what we do there is we honor young girls in the community who are doing really awesome things in different areas. So we have like an athletic award, we have an academic award, then we also have really cool awards like the Brave Award. And so we highlight somebody who has, once again, an amazing story because that's what we care about. Um, That is probably my favorite event though because we get to highlight all of these amazing women doing all of these amazing things. Do you watch that change them, that kind of recognition for their story? Do you watch it change the trajectory of the people of the people that you're able to honor? Yeah. It's been really cool to watch some of the girls grow yeah. after they get that award, too. Yeah, that's what I would bet. Mm-hmm. That's really awesome. I love it. I so really speaking do. of stories, so you you know, you know definitely have a... Um, you, it's obvious you have a love of story. I yeah, do. Right? Yeah. Yes. So um, circling back a bit, so mm-hmm. you... Up until about you were 15, you know, you were kind of not sure what to do with this sense of self, mm-hmm. having it be so attached to the shape of your body. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like you had to change the shape of your body or just hide it? Hide it. Hide it. More not than anything. It. Okay. And maybe that's just the age that I was and the way that boys just decided to be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to be like, oh, like I had a, I was 15. And there was a senior, so I had to have only been a late freshman, a sophomore. And he was like, so, Michaela, when are you going to have my babies? Just like, really, is this what we're going to do right here in gym class? Um, (laughs) So just, (laughs) yes, that was. And that was kind of incessant like that. It was all the time. Yeah. Hmm. Which can be terrible, but. Yeah. You'd have to feel like you were walking around in protection mode all the time. Or at least I would feel like I was walking around mm-hmm. protecting all the time then. Which is not how anybody should have to be. <laughs> not at all. No. no, we should be able to be open. Because that's, that's how we bring in joy and all the things that are good about life, right? Mm-hmm. So you have this experience with the magazine at 15. Um, so tell me what's next in your story about your body and beauty and what, what happens next for Michaela. Well, I was 18. Uh, this is like right after I graduated from high school. Still super heavily involved with the magazine. It's just that I was going off to college. Mm-hmm. And I was at this event and somebody saw me playing my violin and then they approached me afterwards, and they're like, hey, have you ever thought about doing a pageant? You are gorgeous. You can play so well. Like, you have a fantastic talent. Like, we think you'd be great. You should run for Miss Scott County. And I could do that because I was going to school in Iowa. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know I'm from Illinois. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. Yep, I grew up in Rock Island. But, yeah, you would have had the Rock Island High School connection. Mm-hmm. So that's, of course, right? Yeah. yeah, I live in Rock Island, too. I love Rock Island a lot, actually. I do, too. I have a lot of love for Rock Island. I think it's a bad rap. I had a lot of love for it after I left. I actually had a lot of love for it as I was getting into the later years of high school, too. I realized, you know, the amount of diversity that we have is amazing. And the fact that I got to go to school with so many people that were of so many different cultures and colors, Mm -hmm. it was a really good, enriching experience for me to have, for sure. Awesome. Yes. So, 
back to pageant story. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they just said, you should do this. And I was like, no, all that they do is parade around on stage in swimsuits. And, you know, all that they do is objectify women. I work for Love Girls magazine, and I've always told women, you know, you should be empowered. You don't have to look like this in order to be successful. And if I was doing a pageant, I almost felt like a hypocrite. Yeah. Uh, so that was an interesting moment for me, but then they were like, no, like, Miss America is all about embracing who you are, and you can win some great scholarship money from doing it, and it's good exposure for your talent. I was like, okay, (laughs) you kind of get behind this, but, you know, when I got to the pageant, uh, I had natural hair. Mm -hmm. I still have natural hair, just big curly afro of craziness most of the time it never wants to do what I want it to do Mm. but I walked in and here I am surrounded by a lot of young women who all look the same and then there's me Mm. Mm. it was at that point in time though I was so comfortable with you know my hair that was a I have to say me going natural kind of backtracking here but me going natural uh, when I was a junior in high school Mm -hmm. because I used to have chemically straightened hair and I chopped it all off and started all over again And so by the time that I was in that pageant, my hair was probably ear length Mm -hmm. in Afro-ness. Afro-ness. Yes. Very formal. (laughs) Very. (laughs) (laughs) But I was so comfortable with my hair that I was completely okay with it. But there were some people who weren't comfortable with my hair. Yeah. Uh, I've had a judge say to me like, oh, I think it was, you were fabulous, but maybe you should think about changing your hair. Oh, okay. So we just, I think this is, the, I want to pause on this story because mm-hmm. I had said before, there's so many rules about what it takes to be beautiful, mm-hmm. right? And I had talked about thin, but I also think that white and a European standard is like the expectation. Mm-hmm. Um, and a natural hair is going to rub up against that. You know, I've had a lot of women of color on this podcast. They mm-hmm. all talk about hair. Every one of them talks about their hair. Really? And I don't bring it up. I wait. I'm always like, there's the hair again. I think we just, we cling to it so much because I even know, uh, you know, I'm biracial. So I have a white mother and a black father. My mom had no idea what to do with my hair. But luckily, I have two grandmothers who are both hairdressers. Oh, yeah. So I got lucky in that aspect, but she had to basically learn how to take care of my hair. And what my grandma ended up uh, convincing her is that it's easier to have relaxed hair. Yeah. And it is. Sure. I, I have to say, it's so much easier. You know, you, it was like once a week, we would wash my hair and straighten it and it would be good for the rest of the week. And then I would wrap it up at night and like, that was it. Or when I was younger, I used to do like the little beads and Mm-hmm. that whole thing but on top of that what that pretty much taught me was that my hair wasn't done unless it was straightened yeah and so I always had that preconceived notion of we called it nappy yeah. you know and if it wasn't super slick and we had all of these different chemicals and oils and all of this just to make it look a certain way for it to be shiny and long and straight I just thought that my hair was wrong or mm-hmm. just wasn't done. And I think that just says a whole lot more about the way that black women view their hair in general. I mean, you have so many women who will wear sew-ins because, you know, they want that long, straight hair that they see on TV and there was just no representation of yes. a woman with natural hair. Yep. And it was definitely 
just a big step for me to cut it off because it was me saying, okay, now I'm going to take back the hair that I was born with. That's huge. You were a junior? Mm-hmm. I was a junior. But what was really cool, though, is that a couple other girls at my school were going natural, and so they kind of inspired me yeah. that it was okay to go yeah. natural. And I told my grandma, and she was really excited. Yeah. Um, and I think it all came at the right time because, like I said, having natural hair is a whole process. Yeah. And I don't know if my mom would have known how to take care of it. Yeah. So it is okay. Good. We're on track now. We're on track. I think I'm, I've been natural for like... Five years. Wow. Yes. And it's a lot of work, you said? No, it is. Yeah. It is. It is. It's a lifestyle. <laughs> That's why it's pulled back right, right. now. <laughs> it's a lifestyle. It's it lots of tending. It is. So it you're at this is. pageant and this jut. And so you are, um, would you say you're different just in skin color or are you different in build? And how do you feel different from this, other, from this group of women who all look the same? In terms of build... Not necessarily. We were pretty, you know, equal in size. Mm -hmm. But I do have to say that there was a pressure to work out really hard in order to look really good in the swimsuit to please these five judges, you know, that don't know me. Mm. Uh, What was that like? Well, I'd never worn a two-piece swimsuit. Uh, I actually didn't even own one until I stepped on that stage when I was 18 after I had graduated high school. So, hi, Mom. <laughs> Look at me <laughs> in these five-inch heels. Might have been six. And here I am in my two-piece. Let me show you. I was so uncomfortable. Uh, that's what I was wondering. So uncomfortable. There, was there any part of you as you proceeded through this initial process where you're like, what the hell am I doing? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, multiple <laughs> okay. times. Okay. I have to say your first pageant always is going to be the one where you're just running around like, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. Like, I walked out on stage, and I'm pretty sure I looked right down at my feet, and I, like, walked with my head down from, like, space to space when I was doing my poses, and it was just, it was an experience, to say the least. But I stuck around. Yeah. And here I am. Why do you think you stuck around? Well, I felt very empowered through meeting so many women that were dedicated to so many different avenues of service. Mm -hmm. One thing that's really cool about the Miss America organization is that each girl, whether you're a local title holder, a state title holder, or you're Miss America, you all have a platform Mm -hmm. and something that you care about, some cause that you're working towards. And just meeting so many different women that loved what I loved doing was really cool. Oh, yeah. And so I didn't even stick around for, like, the pageant aspect of it. I stuck around for the service. But actually, after that first pageant, I moved into school because it was actually the day before I went off to school that I did this. And it took me probably a year and a half, almost two years, to get back on the stage again just because going to college, you learn a whole lot about yourself. And I wanted to give myself a chance to get used to being in school before I added another thing on top of that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I stuck around, and it all worked out. So I won Miss Iowa in June, and I was already like, oh my gosh, I get to be Miss Iowa. This is fantastic. And then I had about three months to prepare for the national pageant. So it was me and 50 other women, because we have 51 girls all together. 
And so once again, going through all of those motions of preparing for a competition, but this time on a way bigger scale. Like mm-hmm. this is not just Miss Iowa anymore. This is Miss America. So there's that. Uh, but I made it through. I left on August 28th and I didn't get back until September 10th. Wow. And I during that time, I could not uh, have much contact with a lot of different people with my family, with my board of directors. We could call and mm-hmm. text, but I couldn't see them except for during the visitation portions um, after the three nights of preliminary competition. So, like, that was it. I would see them for 40 minutes three times during those two weeks. Wow. It was crazy. Was that lonely? Yes and no. Because I was surrounded by someone at all times. We always had a security guard with us. We always had a couple of our Miss America sisters with us. Mm -hmm. And they broke us up into different hotels. And so each hotel had about between 10 and 15 girls. Mm -hmm. So we all got really close. Oh, cool. That really does happen, huh? It does. So would you say it feels competitive or collaborative? How does it feel? In years past, I'm sure it was a lot more competitive than what it was this year because what made this year different is that they made a a whole lot of changes very quickly. Mm -hmm. So they took away the swimsuit portion, Mm -hmm. and that made national news. But what was so crazy about that is that we didn't know about it until it made national news. So they were changing the format of the competition itself while we were competing for our state titles. Oh my gosh, wow. But what I don't really agree with in terms of the way that they changed it is one, the lack of communication, but two, uh, they said that they removed the swimsuit portion because of the Me Too movement. And As if women's bodies exposed are the problem? Yeah. That's I don't like that either. It wasn't... Now granted, the woman who... Gretchen Carlson. Have mm-hmm. you ever heard of Gretchen Carlson? Mm-hmm. She's a former Miss America, and she also was a news correspondent. But she was, she says she's one of the first women to come forward about allegations about her boss. And so she wrote a book about it. And um, I don't know. I just, it's so interesting to me that she is saying that because of the Me Too movement, we're removing swimsuit when what they always say about the lifestyle and fitness portion of the competition is that it's supposed to be a way for women to empower themselves. Right. But then they decide to move it because of how men may be responding to women's bodies. Really, that's the message, right? Yes. I mean, and that had to hit home with you based on your like your whole experience mm-hmm. of feeling like you needed to hide your body in response to men's commentary about it. Yes. I'll bet that, did, I'll bet that was really... A sort of a deep sense of like disappointment. It was, and then in the contrast of actually fully preparing for getting to Miss Iowa, I had a whole lot more confidence when it came to how I looked because I had been eating right. I, but once again, kind of getting back to that like thin, yeah, and fit, yeah, as being the beauty ideal in order to win, yeah. It's not the best, but I was taking care of myself, yeah. so I wouldn't beat myself up if I missed a workout, and it wasn't about how I looked, it was more about how I felt. Yeah. So I was going through all of these fantastic things, and then I was like, you know what, maybe I can walk on stage in a swimsuit and heels and be like, hi, this is me, Yeah. <laughs> look at me, and then they took it away for the wrong reasons, and so that was so frustrating. So I find out about that through the national news, and there were also so many other changes. They were... 
no longer calling it evening gown and now instead of just walking we were supposed to make a statement about something that we cared about which is completely fine and it actually panned out to be pretty nice mm-hmm. um, especially on like the live broadcast but there was just no communication so we all were like we don't know what's happening so we walked into it with a completely different mindset than in years past I'm sure because yeah. the girls knew the system that they were walking into so their competitive level was probably a lot higher than ours yeah whereas we were just trying to make it through yeah you guys needed each other together mm-hmm. yeah and that's so, really neat though it is yeah and we all got very close we still talk on a daily basis in our group chat cool yeah really awesome so you go to miss america uh who won i don't know i don't pay attention it's okay miss new york won okay Mm -hmm. awesome um and i can tell by the way you talk about it that you consider it a really moving important experience oh yes so getting back onto like the topic of hair and my the way that i viewed myself as being beautiful what was really cool is that this year there were so many women of color, mm-hmm. and on top of that, there were so many women of color that were wearing their hair curly. So we had Miss Massachusetts, she's Dominican, and she just has these huge, beautiful curls and mm-hmm. this beautiful chocolate skin. And then uh, my Miss Colorado, she has like short natural hair, which was cool, in mm-hmm. contrast to like my long natural hair. And then me and Miss Louisiana, they kept getting us confused because we do look quite a bit alike but we had very similar looks with our natural hair and Miss Delaware had natural hair. It was it was really cool mm. to see that representation. Yeah. And although I didn't make it to the finals, quite a few of my friends that I was just talking about did make it to the finals. And so I was thinking about the little girls at home mm-hmm. that would get to see that. And Miss New York is a woman of color too. Mm. And so now that little girl gets to say, I can do that too. Mm. Especially when... Miss America had first started in the laws itself, it had said, must be of healthy and white race. No way. It did. And they got rid of it in the 50s, but um, no one ever went to Miss America who was of color until 1970. 1970. Mm-hmm. And she was from Iowa, which was, mm. I know. That's interesting. It was so interesting. You know, for the f- people who I think... Um, and it, this is usually white people who struggle to understand um, racism in this country. One of the things, one of the things that we're fed from an education perspective is that that's something that used to happen. Mm-hmm. It's old. It's it doesn't happen anymore. Which mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a different <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but yeah. yes, but I think that that is. Um, really indicative. I think that's helpful to put things on a chronological timeline to understand that. I mean, I was born in the 70s. So, and we were just sending a woman of color to a national beauty pageant. It's not that old. No. It's actually still rampantly present. But for anyone who wants to look at a timeline, I mean, in the 50s, it said you had to be white to participate in this. Well, that was when they got rid of it. When they got rid of it. But so from the 20s to the 50s. Yeah. So 30 years of Miss America, and this woman is supposed to be, I mean, even in that song, it says, your ideal. Hmm. It's like, there she is, Miss America, there she is, your ideal. So telling everyone that this is your ideal American woman. woman. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I think that's really um, 
Hmm. I, I'm always hesitant on some level to overemphasize positive uh, progress in relationship to representation because I don't want us to think we've done enough because we haven't. Uh, we're nowhere near doing enough, mm-hmm. but it is, but it is somewhat consoling to have you talk about how not only were they women of color, but they were women of color who, who wore their hair naturally. That's something. That's something different. It you know. Is. It is. And I want to say I think Miss DC of twenty. 16 was the first woman to wear an afro really? on the Miss America stage. Hmm. I'm just like, wow. Of 2016. Yes. Right. So just a couple years right, ago. Right, two years. <laughs> two years ago. But well, that did have, I mean, um, to, to see that kind of representation and to be a part of it had to be really moving. It was. It was amazing. That is one thing I will, I will always cherish. But aside from that, too, just... I have to say that was when I felt the most beautiful, though. Walking down that red carpet, Mm. that whole moment, that -hmm. that moment that you see on TV where it's like, oh my gosh, she's in her gown and Mm -hmm. everything. I I felt like what I wanted that moment to feel like. It was fantastic. Um, I say I keep telling my mom I peaked. And this is it. Like, that was it. Like, I'm 21 and I've just I've done it all. I can't do anymore. <laughs> I have a sneaking suspicion that's not completely accurate, but we'll just. I think I'll be all right. Yeah, too. maybe you're in a rest phase. That's okay too. But yes. um, I'm pretty sure there are going to be other things coming from uh, you because you have that spirit about you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Let's hope that's for the true. Best. Someone hire me when I graduate. <laughs> so you're in school. Mm-hmm. Um, how much? Do you have a year left? Or I you, do. Okay. Well, and I'm actually on a year break currently from school. Uh, so when you win Miss Iowa, it becomes your full time job mm-hmm. essentially. Uh, now some girls will go to school for the second half of the year, but mm-hmm. I decided to start a school tour, so I will not be going to, you know, my university right now. I will be visiting elementary school, middle school, and high schoolers for the next six months. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about that. That's really cool. What's the message you want to take to them? Well, the platform that I use for my year of service and my life, too, I had started this before mm-hmm. I got into pageantry. Uh, it's called How About Hope, and it stands for helping others and providing encouragement, and it's for mental health and suicide awareness mm. for all ages, really. But the message that I'm sending to kids is that it's okay to ask for help. I'm giving them some of the signs to look for in their friends and in those that are around them that might be struggling. Um, the biggest prevention method that I'm giving them is just to be kind to one another and to listen without judgment. And, you know, what do you do when someone does tell you, I'm not doing okay? Here are the resources. Just trying to give them the basics mm-hmm. because <clears throat> we could go very in depth about statistics and. All of these different things, but that's not going to reach kids as much as just saying, hey, if you see someone crying in the hallway, mm-hmm. just go talk to them. Mm-hmm. Or if you see someone sitting alone at lunch and they look really sad, go sit down next to them. Ask them if it's okay if you sit with them. Mm-hmm. You know, talk with them. Mm-hmm. Just see if they're okay because sometimes all that someone needs for another day is for someone to be kind to them. That's the truth, isn't it? It is. It's the truth when we're kids. It's the truth when we're adults. It's the truth always. Yeah. So I always love doing talks with adults, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Those are fun, too. But with the kids, what's really cool is 
you know, having the room fall silent and for them to really listen when I say the words mental health, mental wellness, and even the word suicide. It's a scary word to hear, it's a scary word to say, but I mean, there have been two nine-year-olds within the past couple months that have taken their own lives and it's made national news because of it. Uh, there was a, t a little boy in Colorado um, who said he was being bullied and that was what he did to get out of that, to yeah. get out of that pain. Yeah. And there was just a little girl a couple weeks ago in Alabama because of bullying once again. And so also anti-bullying is another message, mm -hmm. but that all kind of correlates with the kindness side of things too. Mm -hmm. Is there a, um, is there a personal re I mean, a, that platform is, a, is beautiful and stunning and it's exactly what this world needs to hear. Is there, um, is there a personal connection to that for you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, mental illness itself has just ran through my family and a lot of the people that I love. Um, my mom, she's dealt with quite a few things. She has anxiety. She had postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. And I also had depression and suicidal thoughts when mm -hmm. I was 17. Um, yeah, I've just had various mental illnesses with my grandmother's siblings and we have bipolar disorder we have a whole plethora the host of, of all of them yeah but one thing that I think is just so important is to break those stigmas mm -hmm. and I care about it so much because so many people close to me have been touched by it including myself and if we can just continue that conversation then others won't have to suffer in silence that's beautiful I think um I didn't know your platform. You know, one of the things that I don't know if my audience knows is that I don't really prep these interviews. I just listen to people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's important. I don't really want to prep them. They start to feel rehearsed then. Mm -hmm. So um, I want to respond to this, to this emphasis you have on mental health, which I think is really important and connected to the work of the Beautiful Project. So one of the things I get... Um, often I'll get feedback about my body positive platform mm -hmm. and people always want to hedge that a little bit and go, yeah, but extra weight isn't healthy, you know? So there's this health weight connection and that is its own topic. Um, mm -hmm. I do know there are negative correlative health outcomes for extra weight, but we don't know if it's extra weight or weight stigma and all the things that come with weight stigma. So that's a different conversation. One of the things that frustrates me in that when people come back with that in a body positive space, I, we have an obsession with, um, we really have an obsession with thinness and we put the word health on it because if you were to ask people to expand their definition of health, to include health in all the ways, including mental health, we do not value that at the same level as being thin. So don't tell me it's about health. It's not about health. It's about thinness mm -hmm. because if it were about health, you would, you would dedicate equal portions of time and resource to helping people be well mentally. Mm -hmm. So um, I love that you've introduced that topic here to the audience because, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not overly, um, I don't talk about it all the time. I don't bring up the whole why I get worked up about equating thinness and health, uh, but I do get worked up about it. And it's largely because we've neglected every other kind of health there is mm -hmm. at the expense of the altar of being thin. So um, even when you are going through the process of losing weight, I, I have to say I had to be very careful with uh, the way that I went about losing weight because you can get so stuck in the habit of, if I don't go to the gym, I'm a failure, I'm messing up, yep. I'm never going to lose this weight, 
because I was at uh, my heaviest um, around last December. Mm -hmm. And so that was when I was like, okay, it's time to get ready for Messiah. Well, like, let's get it yeah. together, Michaela. <laughs> you know, we got <laughs> to be something. in a swimsuit in front of these people. <laughs> but there were definitely times where I would get very down on myself during that journey. Mm -hmm. And so what I had to do... I had to find very good people to work with. Uh, Triana Roberts, that was my trainer. Mm -hmm. She's actually only my online trainer, but I'm so thankful for her because she helped me just have a way better correlation with losing weight in a very healthy manner for my mindset too because mm -hmm. when you get into the routine of going to the gym, sometimes it can become this very anal, like... Obsessive. Thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, I have to eat this many calories because if I eat this many calories, I'll lose this much weight this week. And I finally just had to step back from it and be like, okay, if I want a piece of pizza, I'm going to eat a piece of pizza or five. Yeah. That's okay. Right. Uh, but then I'm going to, you know, make sure the rest of my day is, is good. But I had to stay away from like tracking calories mm -hmm. and tracking things that the only thing I tracked pretty consistently were, um, like the amount of fats that I would eat and also uh, the amount of protein that I was getting. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting really deep into no, this. No, it's okay. But, no, this is important. Yeah. But just realizing that I had to be okay with myself if I didn't make it to the gym because I was tired. Yeah. Or because I was just mentally drained from the day. And so I have to say that helped a lot with my mental health too because I was taking care of my mind while I was also taking care of my body instead yeah. of just being like, you have to even eat this many calories. And if you eat more than that, like you're messing up, Michaela. Like, yeah. Yeah. And we attach, we attach our um, adherence to the rules to our value as a human being. Mm -hmm. That's what happens. And we start to go, exactly, I, you're messing up, you're going to fail. Mm -hmm. uh, which, incidentally, I'm pretty sure probably drives that drives our behavior the opposite direction. Because the second we send ourselves shaming or restrictive messages, then that's all our psyche wants is more of the thing. <laughs> more yes. of the pizza, more yes. of the, right? <laughs> then that's how you end up binging. Exactly. And you just say, forget it. Right, exactly. going to eat everything. Yeah, yeah, I know. Presence to all of who we are, I think, is the answer to, I don't know, almost everything these days. But, um, well, thank you for sharing all of that. I, um... I just want to give you, like, I, we can wrap it up here. And I, I wanted to ask uh, what wisdom you have for the women in the audience about, um, about themselves, about who they're made to be in the world, about anything in relationship to their body and their beauty and belonging, this notion of, um, you know, taking up space in the world. Any message you have for the audience? I think really just spending time with yourself mm -hmm. and learning about yourself, learning what it is that you care about and what you love that helps you take up space mm -hmm. in the world because mm -hmm. you are who you are and nobody can tell you anything different. Mm -hmm. You know, having that confidence and sticking to whatever it is that you want to do with your life. But in terms of just beauty and just being a woman in America and navigating society, just loving yourself first always so then that way you can love other people equally yeah would you say loving yourself is a feeling or a be like a discipline like a um is it because it's not always in my experience 
I don't always wake up in love with what I see or, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. It's not like this squishy emotion of like, oh, I'm so great all the time. <laughs> no. No. What, do, what does it look like not. to you? Self-love. What does that mean? It definitely is a discipline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it has to be a discipline because, you know, when you're going through something crazy or something terrible happens to you or you mess up in some area of life, that's when it's hardest to love yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you wake up in the morning and you have something all over your face or you look in the mirror and you're like wow I've put on some weight and that's Mm -hmm. not making me feel good you have to just remind yourself that no that this is okay this is not the end-all be-all like I'm still fantastic I still look amazing even if you don't believe it you have to say it to yourself yeah not even just looks just I am amazing I'm a great person and that's the kind of validation that you have to give yourself sometimes. Yeah, that we're more than our bodies. Yes. We're just more than our bodies. We are way more than our bodies. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking time with me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been great. Good. All right, friends, that's it for our time with Michaela. I hope that you considered her story as much as a gift as I considered it today. Um, One of the things that moved me about Michaela's story is the fact that she has this emphasis now on a broader definition of health, including mental health platforms. I think that we have done such a huge dangerous disservice, as I talked about in the interview, by equating health and thinness as if that's where health stops. And it is so encouraging to me that there are Michaela's in the world to help us amplify that part of the conversation, to understand that our health has uh, some correlation to the way that we present physically, but we are just more than our bodies. Um, We are here for more than that. And Michaela's story today is definitely a reminder that that is true. And just in case you have any sort of um, affinity for this pageantry story, I have to recommend the movie Dumplin' on Netflix. It is um, about a woman in a larger body, and she has a pageant mom who's obsessed with pageantry. And it is her story, it's her own personal story of belonging in her large body and in her large personality. It's about how she acclimates to that in the middle of a world that tells her to shrink in order to fit. So go check that out on Netflix. Um, And just a reminder that our season two podcast launches on January 24th on my birthday. Uh, I'm so excited about season two. I'm in the middle of recording and you guys are going to be blown away by the courage of these women talking about how it is that they've survived all sorts of trauma. So subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss a second of season two. If you want to find out more about bodies, about beauty, and about belonging, you can check us out on Facebook, The Beautiful Project with two L's. You can also find us online at www.thebeautifulproject.com. Thanks so much for listening today, and I'll see you all back here soon.